That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the worlds of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. I'm so excited to chat with my next guest. He's one of those guys you see everywhere on ESPN, every sport, every broadcast, every gig. I think he's pretty much done it all. And I, I know him from being across the country talking to him on SportsCenter or being on the radio chatting with him. Uh, but I didn't really know his story and his life. And boy, does he have a really incredible come up. So I'm excited for you guys to hear my interview with SportsCenter anchor Kevin Nagandi. It's coming up next. That's what she said. Happy to be joined by Kevin Nagandi. You can find him co-anchoring the 6 o'clock Sports Center. He's also the host of College Football on ABC on Saturdays and host of the Special Olympics, the USA Games, coming up the first week of July. A very busy man who's also held almost every other title at ESPN since joining. Uh, so we'll get to all of that. Uh, but congrats on the new gig. I look forward to... Uh, to chatting about the expectations and plans for you and Sage. It's just, uh, just been a couple weeks since you guys got going. But I want to start way, way back. Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And, uh, oh. yeah, yeah. What was Kevin Nagandi, who was a, I'm sure, I'm taking a wild stab here, a serious child? Am I right? Uh, well, you know, it's funny. Um, Sarah, first off, it, it's great to be a part of, part of this podcast. So thank you for having me on. I, so when, when I grew up, yeah, I was I was the youngest of the family. I had a brother who was seven years older than me. Um, I, you know, being a, a, a boy in an Indian family, you're also kind of catered to as a prince. So I, I was the uh, apple of my mother's eye. So <laughs> I, I I got away with a lot of things. I got away with a lot of things with my dad. My dad was very strict growing up, coming from uh, from India as an immigrant, and so. You know, they they told me early on that hey, there's certain things you got to do, and that is make sure you get great grades, um, and don't disappoint us, <laughs> and 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 then you could do a lot of other things, and I and that, that was me literally always outside. From you know the minute I could get outside after school after my homework was done, and then come in till. I come up the street was like a Babe Ruth league, and my brother would have to find me at nine thirty, <laughs> ten o'clock, because I would be playing baseball with all my friends uh, when I'm like eight, nine, ten years old. So I was always outdoors. Uh, I wasn't too much of a serious kid, but at the same time, you know, there's this one thing in a, in our culture uh, that's that's kind of left unsaid. You don't want to disappoint mom and dad, mm-hmm. no matter what. So I always had that always in the back of my mind where I, I knew where the line was. I knew when to cross it, when not to cross it, and at the same time make sure that my parents, uh, their reputation was always intact uh, when, when mentioning the Nagandi brothers. So did both of your parents come over and, and uh, from India, or, or was it just your father? Yeah. yeah okay. my, so my parents got married in 1967 in India. Uh, my dad came over in 1969. He was sponsored by my uh, my mom's brother, and he came with $2 in his pocket. I'm not making it up. And he lived in a YMCA for two years uh, as he as he worked uh, uh, on a job as an accountant. 
And then uh, my my mom and my my brother was born at the time in '68. So then my mom and my brother came over in '71. So for two years, my dad had to establish, you know, living in an apartment, make sure everything was stable. And then he had enough money to bring her over with my brother, and and then they lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, which is the capital of Pennsylvania. And then a few years later, um, they moved uh, to Philadelphia, West Philly. And then I was born in West Philly. I came born in 1975. Yeah, born and raised. Well, I was born there, and then uh, about nine months later, I was raised in uh, the suburbs of Phoenix, which is about like 25 uh, minutes uh, outside of of Philly. And um, Still, still nearby enough to, on the playground, spend most of your days. Exactly. (laughs) Close enough. You know, we we lived blocks away from Penn, so I was close enough to still be in the city at any time. Um, And my family, my mom still lives in Phoenixville. My dad uh, moved to India a few years ago, but my my brother's still in Phoenixville. So uh, half our family has emigrated from India in the last 30 years. They all live in the same kind of Philadelphia suburbs, New Jersey suburbs. So the majority of the Nagandi clan... Uh, and my mother's side of the family lives uh, in South South Philly and South Jersey and the suburbs. I wonder, there's a great Master of None episode uh, about both of the kind of main characters realizing much later in life what a sacrifice it was for their parents to do the things they did in order for them to grow up in, in the States and to not have to even think about um, living in a YMCA or, or splitting up a family. At what age do you think you kind of figured out what your father had gone through to set you up to, to be born here and not even realize that that was any different than maybe any other kid. You know, the best thing that my parents ever did for me and my brother is uh, we traveled frequently. So uh, we would go back. Uh, I, I was very lucky to go back when I was one, when I was four, um, when I was eight, when I was 13, and when I was 19. So when you go back and you see where your parents grew up, you you walk the streets of Mumbai or Bombay, which is the British colonial term. When you when you see it with your own eyes and, and as an eight year old, and uh, you see basically, it, and, and I hope I'm not becoming descriptive here, but in the flat that my where my dad grew up on the fourth floor, uh, there was no uh, flushing toilets. That um, it, it was basically a shared you know outhouse, which was on the fourth floor for the, everybody on on the block that lived in this in this flat. And when you see that when you're eight years old and, and then you go to your, your mom's house, which is down the street and where she grew up and, and she was one of nine siblings and you see that they had literally two rooms. That's it. Mm. Uh, and you see that with your own eyes as an eight year old, you come back to, to America and, you know, my parents put me in Catholic school in my early years. Cause my mom was like, you need uh, some discipline. We need to make sure uh, you're you're taught right and correctly early on with the foundation. When you come back and you're at recess, you're not complaining about anything. You're not complaining right. about, hey, I only got a couple Christmas gifts. You you are aware of experiences and 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 what they mean and, and family and what family means when you go back and they see you and uh, when you go back at 13, you you look at life completely different and it gives you proper perspective as a 13 year old kid. The expectations with the teenage angst and, and as a 19-year-old kid, the expectations going in your 20s, you have different things set here. Um, I, I came back, and I, my parents didn't really ever need to say anything. They would share stories with me. You know, my mom was extremely poor, uh, but she was still 
uh, wealthy enough to say, hey, all of us had food on the table. Right. Uh, and, and you understood what that meant. You know, you understood when my mom would tell me stories that, you know, back in, you know, the 40s and 50s, uh, India, you know, and, and how the female was viewed in the family as, as the person that takes care of all the boys. The female is viewed, you know, my mom wanted to go to school. My mom had to share a pencil with her sister. Her younger sister was in the same school with her, but in another class. And my mom had to share this, uh, a, the same pencil. And she'll, she told me one story. She failed the test because she had to give the pencil to her sister, and her sister couldn't give it back to her mm. in time to take the test. Or that she'd come home that night, and, uh, you know, my grandmother would tell my mom, you know, so her mother would say, no, no, schoolwork's not for you. It's for your brothers. You need mm. to make sure the clothing, the wash is done, you know, the food is on the table for all your brothers and your father. You need to do all these other things. Why are you getting an education? You don't really need to go to school. You're there to take care of us. And when when my mom shares those stories with me and then she comes over here, and the cool thing is, Sarah, my mom you know, was such an independent thinker, aware of her roots, but aware of, hey, I also am a woman that wants to do things on my own and think for my own. She would take me to college. So when my, you know, when I'm in like second and third grade, I'd go to her colleges at night. She'd take night school. And she went to junior college that that developed into nursing school. And then, you know, lo and behold, she got two master's degrees. Wow. And when you see and experience that with your mom, you go to the library and you see that she's doing things and she's studying with you. And uh, that that was a huge influence on me on understanding equality, uh, not just by race, uh, but by gender yeah. and how important that is. And also what my culture deals with going back home and seeing you know, aunts and uncles, uh, you know, and how their dynamic is, but also seeing the dynamic in my house and how independent and supportive the men in my family were. Um, you know, it, it, so there's there's like a custom in the, you know, in in our cultures, you know, the the mother makes the food. And many times, you know, growing up the way she grew up, the the daughters would make the food, the men would eat first, then the women would eat. And me growing up here in America as a kid, I would tell my mom, no, 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 mom, you need to sit down and eat with us. Right. You know, I, I knew that by an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, like, mom, no, why are you waiting? No, you made the food. Let's eat together. Mm. And those are the things that, you know, the, the blend that I was really blessed to have and the awareness because I would see it every day, you know, me and my brother would go out and, and experience the Western culture, come back in and see the mixture of that West and East culture together and we just found a way you know and we were really lucky it's funny so my my wife is an irish italian uh fire plug and <laughs> she's gone to she's gone to india with me once i, I gave her I, I wanted her to have the experience and, and and give her the opportunity to meet my grandmother or my 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 dad's mother and so we have now three beautiful kids and they're six four and one and there are certain times I, I tell my wife, I'm like, gosh, I can't wait to take them to India. And she <laughs> knows why. It's because so they could appreciate what they have here uh, without me telling them every day, you are right. so lucky. <laughs> you are yeah. so blessed. Uh, this stuff doesn't grow on trees. You know, I, I'm not just getting you this or you don't have this opportunity to do something like this, uh, to go to a, a sports event. There are reasons why you have this opportunity. And um, when the, when the youngest is old enough to travel, 
uh, when I say internationally. Uh, I can't wait for them to experience that. Yeah, and it's really cool, too, when you um, you know, you know pass that on to another generation, even if they don't have the stark example of that you had with your parents, that they can still sort of hopefully keep that going um, without having to maybe endure what your parents did. You know, going to Absolutely. Temple, I imagine, was very expensive. Was, uh, you know, in the time since you were born in the States and, and ended up going to college, uh, it seems like your your parents must have done well for themselves beyond the, the double masters for mom, um, or was there a scholarship involved? No. So uh, originally I went to Syracuse. Um, okay. It's a funny story. Yeah. So um, I, I there was nine schools when I, I was looking at you know and it came down to USC and Syracuse and my mom was like, why don't you ever look at Temple? And I'm like, no, no, because, you know, as an 18-year-old kid, you're like, I'm out of here. I'm getting away. I'm going to enjoy the, the good life in college. And uh, she was like, we, it, Temple's got a phenomenal program. And my brother at the time was at Temple as well. And she was like, you should, you should go to Temple. You should take a look at it. And I was like, no way. So I chose Syracuse, a phenomenal school. I wanted to be the next Bob Costas. Uh, I chose Syracuse over USC because I never felt I was going to study at USC. <laughs> If I good, went out to the West Coast. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Very smart. Uh, here's the thing, Sarah. That's why I you chose Syracuse because <laughs> I, I ended up at Cornell just down the street. And there's way more to do at Syracuse, but you're still not anywhere near what you could get into out in L.A. Yeah. So you tried. Well, but here, here, you tried and failed. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even study at Syracuse. Uh, wow. The snow was, was too much. It was uh, one semester, and I figured out um, quickly that um, – my parents took out a loan. And, you know, at, at one point they wanted me to go to uh, Fairleigh Dickinson because my mom was like, "You got a scholarship at Fairleigh Dickinson? It's a full ride. You're going to go." And I'm like, "No, I'm not. There's no way." Uh, but when we were going, when I was going to Syracuse, I realized quickly that I was wasting my dad's money, and I was like, "I, I don't want that guilt on my shoulders. I don't want student loans on my shoulders down the road." And being a you know being a, a local kid in in Pennsylvania, Temple. Uh, believe this or not, in the mid-90s, four years at Temple tuition, four years at Temple equaled one semester of everything we paid at Syracuse. Wow. Yeah. So it worked out perfectly for me when I transferred into Temple, uh, you know, my, my freshman year, second semester. And, you know, my job after that, I had all my fun in that first semester at Syracuse, too much fun. And my job was after that, hey, I'm in market four. Let's take advantage of everything around me when it comes to media. Let's also make sure that when I come out of this school, uh, I won't have a lot of debt and that I can actually look at my dad in the eye and actually say, thank you. We're good. You know, and uh, so I get my first gig in Kirksville, Missouri. And, uh, you know, I'm not kidding. I'm making fifteen five, and I'm thinking it's mm-hmm. the greatest thing in the world, like mm-hmm. fifteen thousand five hundred bucks. Yep. And my dad, a month into my gig, sends me something, and I'm like, "What's this?" He goes, "It's your student loan." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "You're going to pay out your student loan. You're going to oh, finish wow. out which, whatever you got to pay." And, and at the time, I was like, "You son of a gun!" But <laughs> the whole point, the whole point, my dad was teaching me is, "Hey, uh, listen." You're done school, but you have to be aware that you went to school for a reason. You're going to earn every single dollar of the education. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm forever in debt to, you know, the lessons that my parents have taught me when it comes to stuff like that, because you appreciate it. And then, you know, I paid that debt off within a year. But, he, you know, he specifically told me, he goes, how did you do that I, on 15 grand? Uh, well, here's the thing. 
my dad said, I will take care of your Syracuse debt. He goes, because I'm still paying for it, thanks to you, for one semester. He goes, <laughs> you take care of the temple debt. You lower that and figure it out and take care of the temple debt. And I said, Got it. absolutely. So I had paid my car in full already. I had uh, saved some money um, on the back end of my uh, my college career because I was working three jobs. Uh, I, I wasn't Jamaican, but I was working three jobs. Not like mm-hmm. that in the Living Color episode. But I was doing <laughs> a lot of things saving up. So then I could just constantly pour money. Now, mind you, in Kirksville, Missouri, you're making fifteen five, but my rent was at one point two hundred eighty bucks, and yeah, I was sharing I, it with I a roommate. I made the error of living in LA on seventeen k. <laughs> exactly. See? Bad news. Bad news. I yeah. ate lunch at the Whole Foods uh, sample bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. Yeah, yeah. Got to go at prime sampling hour. <laughs> um, wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, so you went through, a, I mean, you right out of school were already working in the industry. You didn't have to do the thing where you where you did jobs that are not in any way related just to get by while you tried to make it, which is a great thing for you. Um, and you... Um, you did a bunch of stuff, right? You were sports director. Um, you were, and you actually started doing some stringing for USA Today while you were in college, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, working at the newspaper, the college newspaper as a sports editor, I was on the beat for everything. And then, uh, you know, Gannett, somebody reached out to me um, from Gannett, and they were like, hey, listen, can you cover the entire Big Five for us? And I was like, absolutely. So it was just, it, it, I was getting paid twice to do one job. Yeah. And it worked out perfectly while at the same time working at a Champs, uh, which is like a footlocker, <laughs> nice. yep. uh, to pay for my rent. And um, you know, I did a lot of uh, you know freelancing work. I worked at uh, 610 WIP, which is uh, at the time was the number one sports radio station. Uh, it was actually number two behind WFAN in New York uh, around the country. So I was doing that as a producer. So I was wearing many hats and finding ways that uh, no matter what I was doing, I was still going to collect a check. Right. And I was finding ways to get credits at school and programs. And there's a unique way of doing that where I was making like special interest projects. So I was extending internships by making them special interest projects. And the cool thing is that, you know, the uh, the dean of the school completely supported me and was like, I get what you're doing. What you're doing is getting experience that right. uh, honestly, you're not going to get in the classroom. And she's like, go ahead, keep on doing it because it's smart. So it worked out quite say, well. Because was it was that one experience in that semester at Syracuse enough to like snap you into it? Because it sounds like for someone who was struggling just to study for a semester, you suddenly were doing school and multiple jobs, which requires a you tremendous amount of work, work ethic. You nailed it. So here's the deal. So I, I transferred uh, from Syracuse. I actually thought I was failing out. Turned out I got a, I had a three two five, but I had no idea how um, because I, I literally wouldn't wouldn't go to class. So then I transferred the temple, and um, at the end of 1994, I actually had to go to India, and I went to India for six weeks with my brother for for something family related, and I actually in the 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 what would it be the winter or spring of 1995 i came back from india and i took 26 credits cuz i Whoa. the credits i lost from the previous semester i took 26 credits and i got the sports editor gig and i was doing an internship and i was and i i killed myself sarah like i killed myself for 5 months and my brother at the time was you know 26 years old and he was running a a couple of restaurants with my dad and he's like what 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 are you doing why are you doing this like this is crazy you come home at 
like one at night and you're you're up at five in the morning and then you're you're gone by seven why and i was like because i never i never want to be in a position where i where when i graduate i'm going to say the words what if and i'm like i got literally three and a half years to make sure this works because who knows if i'm going to get a job in tv so i'm going to literally explore everything possible and so that syracuse experience for four months I had so much fun. I did four years of partying in four months, right. <laughs> and, and 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 I party re- I partied really hard, and I came out of it and I was just like, all right, I got that out of my system. Now let's bust my butt and actually, you know, find a way to. And there was a little competitiveness uh, deep down. I'm also super competitive. There are a bunch right. of buddies that I went to Syracuse with that, you know, oh, you're going to Temple now, you know, you're never going to become a sportscaster now, you're leaving the Cuse, you know, and, yeah. and there was there was a measurement that I had out there where I was like, no, no, I, I, the school's not going to define me, and, and as weird as this sounds, I went, I went back and looked at, like, the one inspiration I had was uh, Scottie Pippen, I always went back to Scottie Pippen, because back then, that was the mid-90s, and I always viewed that, hey, Pippen is one of the greatest players of all time, top 50 player, and look where he went to school. And he still found a way. So the school doesn't define you. It's what you do at the school. And I came to that conclusion, and I just basically said, I'm going to outwork literally everybody in every single classroom I'm going to have at Temple. And that has stuck with me, and I take great pride in it. Uh, but I, I, I also needed to scare myself, and that's what Sy- the Syracuse experience was. I needed to have a heck of a lot of fun, but scare myself it's coming funny back. Cause cause I, I just had Harash Markazi on not that long ago, and he parted his way out of Arizona and then ended up uh, at USC and was like, all right, and then started doing multiple jobs and working all the – like, it was the same thing. He just needed that little bit of freedom and then to screw yeah. up and then be like, whoops, okay, I'm back on track, um, which yeah. is – it's funny. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned that there's this competitiveness to you. Um, I was surprised to read that you were only the second local sports anchor in the States that was of Indian American descent and the first on a major national sports network. It's not that I didn't understand that there's a real lack of diversity and there has been for some time and that it's getting better slowly but surely, but I guess I didn't realize that it was that uh, for the Indian community, that it was that stark. Was that was yeah. that ever, was that something that seemed like a barrier to you? Because there, I, I mean, it feels that way being a woman. But there were women on networks before me. For you to be the first at a major network is sort yeah. of unbelievable. It was it was a huge barrier. So at fourteen, uh, I realized this is what I wanted to do, and I actually made the statement in my head that I want to become the, the first Indian guy on Sports Center. At 14, uh, and and again, looking back, you're like, wow, that was pretty ridiculous and bold. <laughs> but at 14, at 14, you you think you could do anything, right? Uh, you think you're immortal. So um, when I looked around and presented this kind of idea, when I got a little bit older, at 18, 19 years old, with my parents, and why am I going to school for communications? What am I going to do? You know, one of the first things they they said was, but there's nobody who's of Indian descent. Uh, doing sports, uh, and this was like in the you know late '80s, early '90s, but because there were no Indian athletes in American sports, even though we passionately loved it the same way everybody else did, my generation was just from the bottom coming in, and so I had I I, I was fully aware of that um, that barrier to the point where you know one of my mentors, uh, you know, when I was doing an internship at, at one of the uh, affiliates in Philly. 
he he's a local sportscaster. He was just like, you know, you may have to change your last name. Hmm. And at first I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, but understand, there are a lot of people that have changed their last name in, in local news. You may have to. And he's like, I'm saying that for two reasons. He goes, Kevin first. Blaze. That, I would have gone yeah, Kevin well, Blaze. <laughs> <laughs> well, well his, his thought process was like, first, getting that first job mm-hmm. is the toughest because you're going to small markets yep. where people don't see people like you. And, and he was very blunt about it, and he, he spoke the truth, and I was actually appreciative of, of him being so open about it. He goes, and number two, he goes, looking at you, you could literally be a lot of different things. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you could be Hispanic. You could mm-hmm. be Italian. It depends on the year. If you have a tan, he goes, For because sure. in the, in the wintertime, you're much lighter. Uh, he's like, you could be um, – a Latino, you could be from uh, from Greece. He's like, there's a lot of things that we could do where if you just have a generic name, you'll be good to go. Yeah. And Sarah, so so when this was pitched to me, I was that night. I drove home and I was like, all right, what am I going to do? Not only am I like just like robbing my parents of the the kid who's going to be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> I'm now <laughs> thinking about potentially saying, hey, I may need to change my name. Um, and and I, I struggle with that. How am I going to approach my mom and dad here saying, you came to America with our name and you built this family and look what we have. And now I want to change my name. And I struggle with that. And yeah. I will never forget. Uh, I had to sit down and talk to my mom and dad and I, I didn't know what to do. And one day my mom approached me and goes, can you come downstairs? Your father and I would like to talk to you. And by the way, my mom is, never does that. She, she doesn't believe in stuff like that. If she has something to say, she'll come up to me and talk to me and we're good to go. She doesn't right. believe in a formality. So I come down and I'm like, what is going on? Why, why is my mom asking me to do something like, like sit down and talk to her and my dad? And she pulls out a sheet and she goes, well, we've been doing a lot of thinking and we may need to change your last name. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. And, and I, first off, I was shocked. And then second off, she had a list of names. And, you know, the first one is, how about Kevin O'Neill? And I was like, my mom, first off, I'm not Irish. There are no Irish Indians. We can't do that. <laughs> uh, because she wasn't thinking in those terms. But I actually took it the other way and kind of said, I got defensive about it. And I was like, no, 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 we shouldn't change my name. But my parents proved to me at that point, they were like, we get it. This is your dream. It's not about us. This is us supporting you and believing in you. And when you, when you get that from your family, you're like, man, that there's nothing better. Uh, there's nothing more beneficial because you're going to lean on that during the lean years. Uh, so when I got my first gig, you know, I, my drive out to Kirksville, Missouri with my dad, it was just me and him in the car. One of the things my dad specifically said to me was, all right, I know you're making fifteen five. He's like, show me a plan. He goes, I need to know how much you're going to make down the road. And I was like, Dad, I can't predict that. He goes, no, no. Tell me what the next job makes, the next job. And in the end, the job you want, the job you see yourself, how much you are going to make. Because the goal of, of Indian parents, I think like many parents, but the goal of Indian parents are what's the stability of your job, not for you, but for the family you're going to make and create. Hmm. That's all they care about. They care about stability. And that's why they go in stable jobs and jobs that no matter what, wherever you go, people need them. 
they always need attorneys, they always need engineers, they always right. need doctors, right? And you always need gas, so you own a gas station, right. you always need a hotel, you'll own a hotel, you know? So those are the things, and you need to eat, you're going to own a restaurant. So these are the things that my parents were, were concerned about. I actually had to tell my dad, if I'm not making this amount of money when I'm 30, Dad, I will get out of the business. I promise right. you, I will find a way to go into business and do exactly what you and I had talked about, big picture outside of TV. And I was like, just let me try this so I never have to say what if and have any regrets. And you know what? It's a credit to my dad. My dad was like, all right, I'll support you. I get it. And whatever you need, we'll figure it out down the road. Now, my the funny thing on the other side, Sarah, is my mom. My mom was super supportive. Couldn't have, I couldn't have a bit better agent than my mom. But my mom, unaware of like this industry, unaware of like climbing to the top, three years into my gig at ESPN, my mom's telling me, hey, you know, you could always take the LSAT. And I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, mom, I'm at ESPN. We're good. And my yeah. brother had to, had to interject and be like, he's good, mom. Don't yeah. worry, he's good. That's funny because <laughs> once once I got started, and I was I was still doing um you know update anchors for ESPN and and, and uh, it was early, but my dad was like, you can always still go get your masters at Northwestern. I'm like, for what? It's working. <laughs> it's finally working. It took me this long to get here. Now give me a shot. Uh, exactly. Like, and both my parents are lawyers, so you could tell that they're like, yeah, you know, you never know. You could still yeah, we never be, know. Be someone we could be proud of. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so it's funny because you know you end up obviously. Obviously, doing the thing that you reached for at 14 and already knew you wanted. Um, do you find that there are Indian American stereotypes you have to fight? Because it feels like it's very clear sometimes what is at stake when it's women in the job or even African Americans. I don't know that there are specific Indian American stereotypes in sports that you're likely to get a lot of or push through. Are there? Okay, so, yeah, so first off, we, we, we do get a lot of, oh, you're not really athletic. Um, you know, yeah. and then I want to say, yeah, watch a, cr- watch a cricket <laughs> match, buddy. Like, right? don't tell me about being an athlete. We don't right. need gloves to catch balls. Um, so what I what I encountered uh, when I first got to ESPN and when I got to social media a couple of years later was, uh, you know, a credibility issue where people were like, hey, what do you know? You don't know anything, you know, and, and I had to fight through that. And, and you know. That's that was the challenge of making sure when I first did my uh, first show in 2006, and then a couple of years later doing my first gig on Sports Center. That night, I, I wasn't thinking about, hey, I got to nail this for me, or I got to nail this for my family. I, I honestly was thinking, I got to nail this for a lot of Indian kids that are mm-hmm. watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and just like I, being a woman, I, it really is. It's like totally. Oh, you've embarrassed all women because you made one mistake. Yes. Oh, my bad. Sorry, a, women everywhere. Com- I've ruined it. One hundred percent. It's a complete broad brush uh, yeah. because people don't want to investigate and look at singular lives. They want to just say, "Let's just go treetops and we're good to go." And, and so I, w- I had to be, I had to be aware of that. That I have to do this job better than uh, people around me to continue to prove myself and to establish kind of like, hey respectability. You can trust me. You, it's okay to come around. And then what you, what you notice is that if you're consistent at what you're doing and you're good at it, the noise starts to come down. Every now and then you'll hear it. Every now and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get the, the racist rant or the grouping of, you know, um, 
you know, I haven't heard it in, in some time, which means I'll probably get it in the next couple of days, but <laughs> I've heard the, the terrorist comments and stuff right. like that. And, and, you know, that, that stuff comes with the territory. I think I'm not saying it's acceptable because it certainly isn't, but my job I've always felt is to continue to break stereotypes every time I'm on TV. And the cool thing is, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I was, I was very lucky enough to be invited to a Diwali party, which is, you know, the, in the Indian calendar, it's a celebration of the new year and um, the chance for prosperity following the, the, the next year on the lunar calendar. And uh, Joseph Biden, uh, the vice president at the time, had a party. Uh, and I was invited well, with, you know, about 75 prominent Indian Americans who are in the industry, but also in entertainment, also that do a, you know, a lot of things in corporations and stuff. But it, it was such a diverse mix. And I walked in there and I saw five comedians, Indian comedians like Hassan Minaj and, mm. you know, Hari Kondabalu, like guys that like I, I, I love and they. Those guys I can consider friends, like Hari comes comes up to me, and he's a close friend of mine, and he's just like, these guys all want your job. And I'm like, dude, you guys have the greatest <laughs> jobs in the world, because I'm like, what you guys are doing on a daily basis is you're breaking mainstream right. um, uh, media and how we look at things. And we've seen what Hassan's done in the last couple of years blowing up. Uh, so when I see some of those guys and, and what they've done, it just makes me really proud the last 15 years, I would say, on breaking stereotypes across the board when it comes to what's on media, what are you doing, how are you taking that in? Because I, I, I took big issue, and Hari, Hari has, a, has a documentary on True TV uh, about um, the whole issue about Apu yeah. and mm-hmm. dealing with, and, and, and Sarah, let me tell you, uh, as an Indian American who grew up in that time when that stuff came out, that was the only Indian American representation. Yeah. In TV or movies in America, and to you know, here, thank you. Come again from the worst accents of people that you don't know, and you have to, yeah, kind of defend yourself and explain yourselves. And they're bringing up stuff like I'll never forget, sir. You know, being a kid. And when uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out mm. and, you know, they do the whole monkey brains, you're eating snakes in your heart and all that stuff in that movie. And I, I had to answer questions at recess. No, I don't eat monkey brains. I'm sorry. Like, because that was the representation that you saw in mainstream. Um, now to be on the other side where I've been here two, since 2006 and now we've hired in the last, you know, 12 years, Anish Shroff, Adam Amin, who's a superstar. Anish has been, done phenomenal work as, you know, a college play-by-play guy. Uh, Adnan Virk, Zubin Mahenti. You see these guys, and, you know, Adnan's carved his own niche, and, and he's broken in the mainstream when it comes to movies, as well as doing what he's doing with baseball tonight and, and college football. And Zubin's a phenomenal sports center anchor. When you see those guys, I'm really proud of it because they followed me, and we're just getting – we're, we're continuing when all of us are on TV, you know, we find a way to say, hey, we're not what you think. Right. And if you open your ears and look at us, you'll understand we share the same passion that you have about sports. Hey, everybody, don't forget to go to ESPN and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. So you always have the latest episode. Don't forget to rate and review it as well and tell all your friends how awesome it is. It is incredible to see from you being the first to now, there's all these folks on ESPN and you guys have some fun with it. Certainly. Uh, I love the photo that it was, you know, 
It was everybody, <laughs> yeah, that's everyone great. wearing different name tags and um, kind of making a joke about how you often get mistaken for each other. And is there a part of you, though, that also is frustrated because it's hard to take ownership of your work if people don't know which one of you is doing it? Because, I mean, if there's a woman on the radio, I'm getting some sort of tweet that's like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, I'm not on the air right now. So I don't oh, know yeah. what they're saying, but it's not me. And if they're saying something stupid, don't give it to me. Um, no, and I'm not totally. saying that those guys would ever do that, but that's frustrating. Totally frustrating. And and I will include Dari Noka in this, who's, whose yes. father is from <laughs> Iran. Right. And, you know, and probably and, and Amin Al-Hassan. Yes, and Amin Al-Hassan as well. You know, when I – whenever <laughs> – you know, Dari and I would always joke because, you know, we have so many great stories about people confusing us. But I would there have been times I'd open up Twitter and they'd be like, how could you say that last night? Such and such didn't do it. And I'd be like, ah, clearly Adnan was working baseball tonight, you know, and, and I'd say, I, I'm sorry, but I work in the mornings on SportsCenter. You know, and we, we have a running joke and, and Dari and I started it with each other. I, I told Dari this. I said, my career's in your hands, so don't screw it up. Yeah. And, and Dari would say the same thing to me. And now we've opened it up to, uh, you know, all the guys that are included because we all know, um, we all know that, you know, people get confused. That's a normal thing. I, you know, many of these anchors, you know, Butchergrass will tell you that people call him Levy. Levy will tell you that, you know, somebody's calling him somebody else, you birth humor. It, it, it happens everywhere. It's just it happens so frequently with us. We, we tell each other sometimes, don't just, just be mindful uh, that some people are going to think that you're me and I'm you. Mm-hmm. And when we go to events, Somebody, hey, Dari! Like, Booker McFarland <laughs> loves the story that we were at a, a college football event, and uh, and we were walking by, and they said, hey, Dari! And, and Booker's like, he just called you Dari, didn't he? And I'm like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and we came back around. He's like, nice to see you, Dari! And I was like, son of a gun, man! It's uh, right. I but... thought he and Boog Shiambi were the same person for a while, because how could you <laughs> hey, Booger? How? So, so you you have fun with it. You you joke around about it, um, and like we've done, we've we've kind of taken it like to that point where let's we have fun, we laugh about it, we share texts with each other on a text chain. Like you won't believe this, mm-hmm. you know, such and such said this, you yeah. know. Um, but it's it, it's 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 a serious thing to a point where I understand where you're coming from because. Why are you? Why do you need to answer what somebody else is doing when you've done nothing wrong, right? right? And yeah. it's just people don't want to stop and just listen a little bit and <laughs> right. say, wait a second, before I send out and press send, let me just pause here and 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 understand what I'm putting out there. Do the minimal amount of research. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's all we ask. So the 6 o'clock Sports Center, uh, you and Sage Steele have just taken the reins. It's very interesting um, to be completely different from the expectations for the Mike and Jamal 6 o'clock, despite it still being two people of color. Obviously, there was an attempt with that show to make it about their personalities, to bring his and hers to the Sports Center stage, and now there's a return to the more standard expectations of what made Sports Center what it was. What makes you unique, you and Sage, and and what was the directive for you? Was it okay that didn't work or that wasn't received the way we had hoped? So now we want you to go back to highlights, interviews, more straight. Well, I, I can speak on my experience because um, you know for when when. Michael was doing the, the, the sports center, and, and I think it, towards the end uh, when Jamel was doing the sports center, uh, centers with uh, Michael, they were doing very much similar shows that we're doing right now. And Michael was definitely doing that in you know February and March when I would watch, you know, and, and 
you know, Michael and I remain close. And, uh, you know, when he got the show, we'd always talk about concepts and what, where he's coming from. And, you know, it's a completely different world where I come from being a sports center anchor and how I saw things because, you know, I was used to a, a certain format and highlights and stuff like that. And he was, he was very lucky enough, him and, and Jamel, to have the liberty to just say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to mix a lot of stuff on what we did on his and hers and, and right. blend that into what, what's going on now. And I was like, wow. Uh, that's a, that's a phenomenal opportunity in that time slot. And then, you know, when you see the evolution of what it was in like February and March, um, you know, Michael was doing highlights, Michael was doing interviews and that's kind of what I did. And at the end of March and all of April, when I was filling in, we were, we were doing the same show that we're doing currently right now, which is highlights, interviews, getting you ready for the rest of the night. What games, what are the big topics, what you may have missed all day if you were out at work or if there's a day game, a day baseball game, here's what, what's going on. If there's NFL breaking news, here's the latest. So we still do that. Um, that's, that's the show I'm familiar with. That's the show I appreciate and love. Um, that's the show that feels like the sports center that I grew up with. That's the sports center that was here when I was uh, in 2006 coming in. And uh, so I, I can only speak for myself that dynamic of we're going to get you ready. We're going to give you plenty of video. We're going to give you smart breakdowns. Like we just had our show meeting today. And uh, one of the things I said was, listen, I know it was, you know, it was last night, but I want to see the 27 uh, missed threes again. I, I right. want more perspective. Like, I'm hungry on why why it happened, what happened during that time, who missed, uh, what the Warriors were doing. And and here's the difference is that what we can do on this show is we're going to give you that, that treatment. Now it's going to be a little more complex and a little more next level. It's going to be now a minute long. It's going to be fast-paced, and it's going to give you context, which is, hey – uh, you know, 538 says <laughs> the next time a team misses or the, the odds of missing 27 straight threes was one in 72,000. Uh, we're going to provide that context. Yeah. Who, who missed those threes in that span? Meanwhile, on the other side, who made the threes for the Warriors? A combined 10 threes were made during that span. So, I, like, that's the stuff that I love. That's the stuff I can't get enough of that you're not going to get on your phone. That's the stuff we're going to give you at, on the 6 o'clock when you're kind of like saying, hey, what exactly happened last night? Because I didn't stay up and watch the whole game. Or I watched the whole game, had to go to bed because it, it ended around. Yeah, yeah right. it ended at 11.30. I couldn't watch uh, the morning show because I had to get the kids ready. And I'm running around. Now I could sit down and say, what did I miss? And yeah. that's kind of what uh, I take pride in. Now, also, you know, what's the topic of the day? You know, Right now the big topic of the day is I think um, ESPN released uh, – an the SPI when it comes to the NFL's upcoming season, who has the best odds to, to win the Super Bowl, and me being a Philadelphia fan, they're not number one. Uh, now I want to know why. You know, and, yeah, and, and then we'll have Darren Woodson. We could break that down with him today. Those are the things that a show like this can do uh, during that six to seven hour, getting you ready for the night. Um, I, I, I thought yesterday was a perfect example where we had Verlander, afternoon day baseball. He was phenomenal. We show what he did. We show a graphic perspective what he's done in his last uh, in his first 17 starts with the Astros, um, and how that ranks around the league. You you're not going to get that, I think, on your phone. What you're going to get is what uh, 40 seconds of seeing Verlander throw, you know, a few strikeouts. Right. And what we're going to give you is kind of the the next level to make you feel a little bit smarter, and give you context on why it's happening. 
Uh, that's the uniqueness of this show. Because if you look at all the other shows, uh, the, the night show will give you highlights, maybe post-game, uh, maybe an, an analyst right there. What we're going to give you is, hey, we'll give you the highlight. We'll give you some more posts, some context, what happened the next day. We're hearing from, you know, Daryl Morey, Rockets GM. Plus, we're going to have um, an analyst there. And then we're going to have, you know, interviews getting ready for all the Where things that are going to happen tonight. Yeah. You know? You, you've done a ton, so obviously this kind of takes a piece of all the things you've covered and, and you bring that knowledge and, and that experience. Um, that includes NFL Live, Baseball Tonight, Outside the Lines, NBA Tonight, Women's Final Four, Special Olympics. What is left that you haven't done that's on your bucket list to cover? It's <laughs> a really good question. Um, I think big picture. So, uh, you know, as a guy that, that dreamt of, you know, being on SportsCenter at 14, when, when you get it and then you get the opportunity to do a variety of different shows on the road and, and carry franchises, uh, I take great pride in that. And college football is, you know, I love college football in the NFL. Um, I love all the sports, but like for me, I've never had more fun than I had on Saturdays doing the ABC stuff and then going to, you know, the Sugar Bowl and hosting one of the college football playoff semifinals. So for me, it would be, uh, you know, what Reese is doing at game day. Uh, I think that, you know, he is the model anchor for many people here and also people that are coming into the business. You look up to him because he brings it every single time. And he's phenomenal at what he does. And then I look at the other side, mixing two worlds. I love the NFL draft. I, I, like, I can't get enough of it. I plan my, my day around the NFL draft schedule. So, and that's been that way since I was you know, 12, 13 years old. So the Mel Kuypers of the world mean a, a hell of a lot to me. So like, when I look at what Trey does, where he can mix a lot of things, and then what they did this year, while you're bringing Kirk Herbstreit and you're mixing the college football knowledge into the NFL conversations with Lewis Riddick and, and Mel Kuyper, the idea of being a part of the NFL draft, the idea of being a part of college game day, those are things that I'm like, yeah, uh, patience pays off. I want to continue to do what I'm doing because I love it. And now having that 6 p.m. sports center, for me, my job is to make sure uh, that this franchise, the way it has always been established through the years and all the people that have, all the people that have anchored the 6 p.m. sports center, make sure we uphold those standards. Yeah. A lot of pressure, but uh, you guys can do it. You guys have been around for quite some time. It doesn't make you old. It just makes you experienced. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe a little of both. Before before I uh, before I let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does, but nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. The same ten questions that everybody answers. Number one: What's the natural talent you were gifted with? You wish you were gifted Whoa. with. Yeah. The natural talent that I was gifted with. You wish you were gifted with. I wish I, okay. Uh, I wish I was gifted. Uh, you know what I wish? Uh, I wish I could, uh, I wish I was a comedian. Uh, that I could walk into a room and crack a joke to make everybody like laugh. Because that's, one. that's the one advice I'm going to give to my two boys. I'm like, if you can make girls laugh, you'll be good to go. <laughs> along with your dimples and eyelashes. One of the better ways to learn that skill is just to be made fun of a lot as a child. <laughs> and then you <laughs> uh, just take it from me. Uh, number two, what's your Desert Island album? You can only have one. Man, I've, I've played this scenario many times, and I I hit a wall, but I, I will say probably... Yeah, it's an unfair question. 
Yeah, because there's a, there's a lot of different genres and stuff, but if I had to listen to something all the time, believe it or not, it would be Uptung Baby by U2. That okay. album is like, and it takes me back to 1991. Uh, yeah, that or, or The Greatest Hits of George Harrison, because I'm, I'm a big George Harrison guy. And I, and I, I think I surprised you, because I was going to go two other options. That, that could have been... You know, Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet, uh. because that to me is one of the greatest uh, hip-hop albums ever, or uh, Ice Cube, The Predator, but uh, I, I'm going to lean on you, too. Yeah, little melody on that island. Uh, number three, if you could switch lives with someone for a day, who would it be? Oh, man, uh, and they have to be alive right now? Nope, they could be dead. But, I mean, you would presumably switch with them when they were alive. <laughs> switch with them when they're, oh, man, this is a really, really good question. Um, I'm going to go a little deep here and, 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 and I, you started this conversation say I'm a little more serious. Well, I'm also more kind of, uh, one of those guys that, that thinks a little bit deeper into things. I would want to be Gandhi because he's the guy that I, he is my ultimate idol and I'd love to switch spots with him for one day just to see his perspective because uh, when you could fast for 21, 22 days and you could also free your countrymen of, you know, tyranny and rule by by England without lifting uh, a weapon. Man, that shows me extreme power and patience. And I'd love to know how he did it. Yeah. And 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 you've you've already got uh, Herm Edwards who calls you a Gandhi, right? So you're close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, a Gandhi, yeah. Yeah, you're almost there. <laughs> um, number four, what's the most scared you've ever been? Man, um, the most scared I've ever been. Um, oh, okay. All right, here's a good story. Okay, uh, I'm at the Steve Miller Band uh, concert back in 1993. I'm 18 years old. I am. Um, um, it's an outdoor uh, event, and there's a big circle forming, and I'm with a bunch of my buddies. There's about 30 of us, and I'm, let's just say, under the influence a little bit. And um, somebody threw, um, well, I shouldn't say somebody. It was a skinhead. He threw a bottle across the way, and it hit me right in the head, and <sighs> it cut my forehead, and I was bleeding, like, everywhere. And I went, uh, I went off, and thankfully I had three of my buddies there, including two football players, tackle me because they knew that I was losing my mind about what happened. <laughs> and, and, I, and I tried to go after the guy. And um, so this was outside of Philly, and we had to get back home. And my buddy, and I'm, again, I'm bleeding everywhere, and my buddy is like, I have to take you to the hospital right now. And I was like, don't take me to any other place but Phoenixville Hospital. Don't take me anywhere. And I was like, and the only person you're going to call is my brother. My brother worked at a hospital at the time, and he was seven years older than me. So I was like, take me there. And the whole time in the car ride, I'm telling my buddy, my career is over. I will never be on TV. No one's ever going to hire me. Look at me. I have the biggest gash on my forehead. So we get there to the hospital, and uh, clearly I need stitches. Uh, they, They need to do some work on my forehead. And uh, I tell my buddy, I'm like, and this is, again, 1993 before cell phones. I'm like, go down the street. I give him some money. I'm like, call my brother. Do not call my parents. Do not call my parents. And he was like, okay. So he calls my brother at a payphone down the street. I'm in the emergency room getting sewed up. My mom and my dad walk in. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm dead. And I go, mom, dad. And my parents go, Kevin, what are you doing here? 
Mm. It turns out that somebody in my family got in a car accident and they came to the hospital at the same time. What are the odds? What are the odds of that night ever happening? Right. Wow. I've never been more. I've never been more scared in my life <laughs> than my mom walking in with my right. dad and me looking at them saying, "I am done. I'm literally done. Like my career's over, and my parents will hate my guts." Number five. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Wow. Um. Man, that's a really good question. Uh, the most embarrassed I've ever been. Um. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Probably. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm at my college TV station and, uh, you know, I was, we had to do a sports cast and I come on the set and I'm doing the, sh- the show. I screw up, but my professor is the guy that's running everything. He's taking me live and I'm like, all right, all right, we're going to have to back this up. We're going to have to back this up guys. We're going to have to do this again. And he keeps on going. He keeps on playing all the tapes like it's live. And I look at, and like 40 of my college, uh, um, I should say teammates are all looking at me because they're a part of the TV station too. And they're all looking at me and I look and I throw my scripts on the air and I'm like, you're <laughs> killing me. And I was so embarrassed, like so <laughs> embarrassed in front of everybody. And I walked into the back afterward. I literally walked off the set and walked in the back and my college professor, God bless his soul, was just like, now, you know, when the red lights on, you don't stop. Yeah. And he's like, go back out there and pick up all your papers. Wow. That'll happen. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it live. So, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. So. Uh, number six, what would you consider your biggest failure? Man, my biggest failure, it's, a, it's, it's probably, um, man, uh, my biggest failure right now is, I would say, These are really good questions. Um, not enjoying the journey more in my 20s. Mm. And, and and I look back sometimes, and it's always about the grind. What's ahead? What's ahead? What's ahead? I didn't enjoy where I lived and what I did. I lived in Florida before I came to ESPN. I lived near the beach, and it was great. And uh, it was a good life, and it was a lot of fun. And I was always like, all right, what's next? All right, what's next? All right, what's what's next? It's good to have that, but at the same time, man, if you're not enjoying your 20s, you'll never get them back. You right. Trust me, you will never, ever get them back. And I would say that's on anything at any age because I think a lot of people in our industry do that throughout the entire time. What's next? What's next? Got to get bigger, got to get better, and they never appreciate anything, even if the place they are now was somewhere they would have died to get to two years ago. So if you have no gratitude, then where where is the end goal? There isn't one. One hundred percent. So, number seven, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Um, the ability to adapt, because uh, if you can't adapt and you can't have conversations with people from different backgrounds, you can't be aware of what other people have experienced, or you don't want to understand. You're not going to get anywhere. Uh, listen, everything we do is about relationships. Everything we do is about conversation. Everything we do is, is about interacting with people. And if you don't have the ability to adapt and also be aware that other people have different opi- opinions, man, you're never going to – I don't think you're ever going to make yourself better, and you're never going to be able to advance as a person. And, and down the road, you're going to close a lot of doors when you look back. Agreed on that. Number eight, have you ever been in a fist fight? Yes. Yes. 
I, I've had I've been in five five or six fist fights. Very. Did you win uh, any of them? Did I win any of them? Oh heck yeah! <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I won a couple. You know, I won one. You brought, you talk about just being of Indian background. I I won one in uh, in junior high in front of my entire school junior wow. high class of uh, it was ninth grade. A kid that threatened to beat me up in front of everybody because I was Indian. And I asked, and he was actually a, a friend of mine, but he turned against me and. Um, he threatened me in front of everybody in the cafeteria. I told him to get up. He came up, and I punched him once, and he dropped, and I jumped on top of him, and I pummeled him. Aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> established that, you know, I stuck up for myself at that That's moment. That's right. That's right. Uh, number nine, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, appreciating the moment, <laughs> right. going back to what you just said. And, you know, that's a work in progress, but that's that's one of those mo- things that I, I want to continue because I, I'm at a stage, too, in my career that, I, I you know, grinding is, is something I've always known, and but I also got to appreciate what I have around me. I'm lucky yeah. to have uh, a great wife and three amazing kids, and, you know, my, my youngest told me the other night, she's a little girl, she's every man should have a, a daughter, and I adore her. And she told me she loves me, and I just, uh, for the first time, and I texted my wife that night, and I was like, I think I'm living in the greatest moment of my life right now. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, we need to slow this stuff down. I'm like, yeah, yeah. this is probably the greatest thing ever. So. That's awesome. And number 10, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Man, this is some uh, this is some good questions you got here, Sarah Spain. Holy cow. Uh, three words. Um, Thoughtful, uh, caring, and um, and uh, and fun. Because honestly, like, if you're not having fun, you're not really living. Yeah. And finally, the bonus: Who would you recommend that I invite on the podcast to have a conversation with? Ooh, let's pay it forward here. And it could be literally anybody. Literally, it doesn't even have to be sportsy. Oh man, who would it? Who would I? Hmm. If you get him, it'd be amazing. Hassan Minaj. Oh, I'd, I would. The love reason to why the comedian, very, yeah. he, you know, he's he's blowing up as a comedian right now. He is a huge sports fan. Yeah, and you know, my, my friend Trayvon used to those... write for the Daily Show, so maybe I'll try to use that in. See if yes, I can... and tell him tell him that I recommended him to be on your podcast. Okay, I'm on it. Awesome. Hey, awesome to talk to you, Kevin. Sarah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Oh, and another thing. This week's That's What She Read is actually a couple of weeks old, but uh, I just stumbled upon it, and it's, it's a really cool story uh, from the, uh, the Star Tribune, uh, and it's uh, Lovell Teacher becomes first female high school football coach in Wyoming history, and I figured with all the firsts that Kevin Nagandi had to t- uh, to share, uh, might as well share another first. Uh, just a cool story: Jennifer Gardner becoming the first woman in Wyoming history to serve as head coach of a high school football team after she was selected a couple weeks ago to run the Lovell High School's program. She was first an assistant coach for three seasons, specializing in the offensive and defensive lines, and now has gotten the promotion. And you know, it seems small; it's just a high school gig, but you know these these little moments, these little pieces where someone gets an opportunity to kind of clear a path for those behind her to set an example for someone coming up who might have not even ever thought about that 
um, are really cool. So congrats to Coach Gardner. And if you want to check out the story, it's by Brady Oltmans. And you can find it, um, as I said, uh, the Casper Star Tribune. So uh, pretty cool story. And thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me.